Dr. Trisha Ramprasad, uh, or Dr. Trish. I am the core behavioral therapist. And today I have a treat. We have Kimberly Crone, um, a treat for all of us. She is an immigration lawyer. She worked for Rutgers University um, with the immigrant with immigrants and um, with, with kids in foster care. She also worked for American um, Friends Services Committee and um, we also went to college together <laughs> and she's my friend. And we've known each other for quite some time. And right now she works for a place called Kind. Can you tell us about Kind? Sure. And hey welcome. Trish, Hi. thanks for having me here. Or Dr. Trish. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> now I work at Kind, which is Kids in Need of Defense. And so um, we primarily like represent uh, unaccompanied minors and their immigration proceedings. And then we do also do advocacy and, and other type of work related to wow. that. More power to you. <laughs> Giving her a round of applause. <laughs> wow, um, that's so awesome, Kim. Um, so during this year, what are some things you've seen being an immigration lawyer? I know it's a very broad question. I like to start off broad and see where it goes. Yeah, it's been a especially tough year. Um, the past four years have been incredibly difficult as an immigration attorney and for um, immigrants uh, under this administration. But this past year with that combined with the pandemic has been incredibly difficult. Um, most of the people that I work with, uh, young people are also low income too. So their families were uh, and impacted. Um, and many of them, their parents or maybe their caretakers lost their jobs. And so in addition to fighting for their immigration cases, they're just fighting to survive. Um, right. Yeah. So when you're fighting for the immigration cases and, and really fighting for them to survive, are some of them able to stay in the country or are they being deported? So um, the majority not all of unaccompanied minors that we work with are eligible for relief um, so that they can stay in the United States on a permanent basis. Um, and most of that also depends on having an immigration attorney because the system is so complex um, and it's really difficult to fight a case on your own. And one interesting thing that I think people do not know, it's, it actually is really a, bad, a horrible thing is that you have a right to have an attorney but you have to pay for one or find one who will represent you if you cannot afford it for free. Oh so God. you are not entitled to a government paid attorney to fight your deportation case. It does not matter if you're two years old, 10, 40 um, years old. What, yeah, so that's um, a really big issue in, in immigration. So if a child comes here, right? Because of the parent, because the parents came here, because my parents were immigrants and and they came here, um, but you know then they had me or whatnot. But if a if a child came here that was on your caseload, right, that one of the cases you were fighting, and their parents bring them here from another country, and it wasn't the child's choice or what have you, they would have to pay out of pocket cash to get an attorney. There's no sort no no financial aid, nothing. 
them? Yeah, yeah. Um, through the government now, um, federal government. I mean, some states have some programs where they have state paid attorneys. Um, very limited, um, discrete areas. But yeah, anyone, no matter who you are, you would have to hire an attorney or find a nonprofit that provides either a low bono or a pro bono rate. Yeah. Um, and of and I don't know how your family came, but if some, a lot of people do come with a green card already, right? So they don't really need an attorney and unless they're applying for citizenship or perhaps, you know, I don't know if you know, but you can lose your, you can be deported even if you have a green card, depending on what? if you've, yes, it is a possibility um, committing certain crimes and it doesn't have to be anything serious um, okay. can lead to deportation. That, yeah. Um, if you're not a citizen. So you're, you're not 100% protected until you become a United States citizen. Yeah. It's so interesting. Okay. So even if someone, let's say, did it the right way and they get arrested for smoking weed, by the way, marijuana is now legal in New Jersey and it's legal in California. But let's say someone, um, say a kid, 17, 18 years old or what have you, gets arrested for smoking uh, marijuana, smoking weed, right? Um, and they have a green card, they can take Yeah, depending on the charges mm -hmm. that occur, yes. And even if in New Jersey it's illegal, yeah. um, you okay. could have issues because immigration is federal. Um, and so, yeah, so <laughs> drug, I mean, drugs, even if it's something like marijuana, just it just depends, right? And I, as an attorney, you always, <laughs> the one joke is, <laughs> right. that's what attorneys always say, it depends, but yes, it, it depends. But yes, it is possible that you could get deported depending on the facts of the case. So it's very harsh, very, very um, harsh consequences. Yeah. Wow, wow, okay. Um, so did you see, did you find yourself winning a lot of cases this year? Oh, this year has been, uh, well, the past four years, like I said, but this year too, there's just the administration. Um, there's a lot of power that the executive branch has in immigration law. And so a lot of new regulations were implemented, um, new policies. Um, there is even a way for the executive to make decisions, uh, legal decisions that are precedential and it can impact um, some substantive areas of law like asylum. And as you probably heard, there's so like the president has been issuing all these orders and there's a lot of lawsuits going on around the country. Um, so this year has been basically a lot of immigration attorneys that do litigation on um, have been filing lawsuits to either try to prevent some of these things from right. happening. Right or um, some are successful, some aren't. So I think a lot of our strategies on the ground as attorneys have been to delay sometimes if possible the case, actually to delay it on purpose to, because our client will be harmed because of the laws that are coming down. Or in other times we rush to file things. So we're going crazy trying to file things before the law changes. Um, it's it's madness. And then the law is changing every day with all the lawsuits. So we're just keeping up with what's going on is uh, a headache and but necessary to be able to advocate effectively for our clients. <laughs> yeah. So that's thanks for I didn't know all that went into it. Would you see um, mental health issues going on when delaying the cases or when rushing things? Because this sounds like it's a lot of anxiety um, inducing. 
I think just, I mean, I see mental health um, issues in multiple ways in my clients with respect to just like this whole, like it is anxiety producing just for, for me the, as the attorney, never mind what my client is going through. I can't imagine, you know, not knowing what's going to happen to my case. And because of backlogs and changes, you know, waiting for years, not knowing if you're going to be deported or not, or if you're going right. to get status or not, just that in itself is, um, yeah, I, I can, I mean, how can you sleep at night? Um, well, not knowing what's going to happen. Um, you? Oh, um, it's stressful. <laughs> um, some days are better than others. And I, I think I've been doing this for some time right now. I think it's been about eight years, I guess. So I've learned some healthier ways to deal with it. Although this past year and the past few years have been especially difficult. Um, but yeah, it can affect my sleep. Yeah, this administration, there's just so much change and so much negative change and so many like rights violations. And I, I see my clients being harmed or I see them not getting the relief they deserve. And so that impacts me not being able to do anything or feeling helpless or feeling like, oh my goodness, I did this last year. Now I can't do it this year. Like, what's right. the difference? Or I'm representing, you know, a 16 year old who's, I know has been traumatized in their home country. Maybe they're sexually abused or, um, you know, targeted by gangs, but and I don't, I know what they'll have to go back to, right? I've, I've spoken to them in detail about their case, but, but because these laws are changing, that's how, I mean, I, I feel that too. I don't want that. Like, I don't want them to be able to go back. Uh, I mean, to, to have to go back um, to their home country and face that again. <laughs> I, I hear you. That's like, that's, uh, those are tough situations for them to go back to. Um, what would you say to someone who says, well, if you do the time, you have to, if you do the crime, you have to do the time. And if you're not from this country, then you should be deported if you're committing crime. Well, everyone, oh, well, everyone has, everyone has a right to apply for asylum. I mean, that's just an international basic, right? And it's a right in the United States too. It's, it's part of the law. And so, I mean, that's one thing. And a lot of the children that I work for are just, they're applying for safety. They're not safe in their home countries. They cannot find safety in their home countries because they're these states and the governments are so corrupt and um, there's so much impunity that they can't even get protected in their own, in their own countries. And they're seeking safety in the United States, um, which is possible. I mean, we're not perfect, but it's a lot better than in their home. From perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think about? Um, you know how the Trump administration gave all these um, rules and laws about who can stay here and who can't, and Harvard and a bunch of other people, um, institutions, um, basically filed lawsuits against the Trump administration. Um, what do you what do you have to say to people who went through that or who are going through something like that as far as wow I may I may not be able to stay here because of my green card status and the rules that occurred or happened I think maybe you might be talking about some of the work special worker um visas and yes. special yeah I don't know I don't, student visas too yeah so I, I don't I with human humanitarian relief but yes i but it did make an impact because the i think trump reneged on that because there was so much pressure on him i mean 
yeah uh on on those in that particular situation there's been so many things that he's tried to do right really stop not just he's saying he's stopping illegal immigration but but basically what it comes down to is he's trying to stop legal immigration um and clearly i mean and i don't know i see the reason behind it is really just race right like there's, there's a intentioned a serious clear intention to prevent this country from yeah going yeah from um, becoming less white right and and so um but i think that's a big because that seems to be take over almost the majority of his agenda over this past four years have been immigration or at least it seemed like that to me in my yeah but there's so much that that has gone on to really just prevent legal immigration never mind like illegal immigration um so so Kimberly, as I'm talking to you, I'm like, Kimberly is is a white female, right? Yeah. So Kimberly, mm-hmm. what's it like for you to be advocating for people of color and immigrant kids and families? What's that like for you? Um, well, I the way I approach my practice is client-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm try to be as much as I can aware of that difference between me and my first there's age difference there's the race difference right um but at the same time I try like I have this being white gives me a privilege um too and so utilizing that to be able to advocate for my clients I think um is something but I have to keep these things in mind right because especially the age difference too it's not just that I'm white that I speak English, that I grew up in the United States, that I'm not an immigrant either myself, but I can, I have to be aware of that because I cannot take it. I I really want to make sure my clients have agency and control over the process because also I want them to, because I want them to be able to trust me and open up to me and share really sensitive things about their lives with, when you're working on an immigration case, you, there's like, immigration agents that are interviewing you or judges, nothing is off the table. And right. so I need my clients to be able to trust me and being able to recognize the power differential and, and deal with that in an equitable way so that my, my clients feel comfortable speaking to me is really important um, so that I can talk to them and then advocate as best I can for them to get them what they want, which is to stay in the United States permanently. <laughs> the fact right. that... The fact that you can recognize your privilege in, in so many ways, it's pretty awesome and amazing. And I feel that you're using your privilege for good. You're using the power that you have to help people of color and disenfranchise youth. That's how I see it. That's just how I personally see it. So mm-hmm. I think that's really great work that you're doing. Um, can you talk about the foster care system a bit? What Do you do the same thing for the foster care population those kiddos yeah so about about a year ago I was working at Rutgers University and there's a special well the law school and there was a project we had where we represented of the immigrant children in foster care and so like there was a huge diversity in cases um and like different types of people in different stages in their immigration cases like people were actually citizens but had issues with that or lost papers because whoever, maybe they were being abused by someone who was using their documents against them, or, I mean, there's so many different situations that I had encountered, and, and then, of course, the people who were totally undocumented, um, and in immigration court, and one, and the judge, you know, 
could deport them at any minute. So we would have to try to file some sort of relief if they were eligible. Um, but I think maybe you want to know a little bit about maybe the difference between if I, I don't, <laughs> between maybe the immigrant youth that I worked with and maybe what well, I see with other. Yeah, you said something interesting. So you said you work, work with kids with foster care. Now, did you only work with kids in foster care who were immigrants or did you also work with American citizens? As well. no, we only worked with immigrant foster youth in this particular project, providing them with um, representation for their immigration cases. But we worked within the law school clinics where pe- the professors and other staff worked with people who are not immigrants. So there were there's some discussions about like differences in how the system treated immigrants versus um, long-term right. residents, and often the a lot of the immigrant youth. There's it's funny because there's two things that happen sometimes. Sometimes like you'll call someone will call DC PMP in New Jersey. That's what they're called, the Division of Child Protection and Permanency. That's the Child Protective Services. Someone might call because they see something happening, right? Like oh, I think this person's this kid's being abused. There's two different reactions that I think are <laughs> that happen. Either they're like they don't take it seriously they'll like say they're investigating but because if they find out that someone is like undocumented or Mm -hmm. an immigrant whatever they're the investigator sometimes they take it seriously right I'm not saying this but there's often like uh you know they're undocumented there's not much to do or we're not we're not going to take it seriously like and then there's oh we need to prosecute like over criminalization right <laughs> of the parent or whoever is the one accused of doing whatever like the type of abuse might be and and who know like it's really there's what i learned there's a lot of um it's really hard to figure out what happened in those accusations um whether so, who was telling the truth what really happened? Did something happen? Because sometimes nothing did happen, but there's accusations for whatever reasons. But um, you yeah, it was the abuse. So it's a lot of abuse that some abuse, abuse. Yeah, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of physical, physical abuse, neglect, um, lots of things, the whole range. I mean, yeah. And then you said something that some of the parents um, have this power over the children because they have paperwork that the kids may need and they're holding on to it. And that's just really terrible and sad to hear. Yeah. So we, and you, we see that with, in like sort of a domestic violence or abusive relationship with immigrants too. Like, um, one person who has citizenship will hold that over the other person who doesn't. And so you see that with children too. Yeah. Or even just hold their passports or. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's true. Or if they have a child, if a couple has a child and one's a U.S. citizen, one's not, they can threaten to, well, you go back to your country and I'll keep the child. Like, have you seen stuff like that? Well, I'll keep, I'll keep all your, I mean, using the children. Yeah, I'll keep all your children. You do what I want, right? Um, I haven't worked too much with domestic violence, but yeah, mostly I've just worked with um, children and youth, but yeah. Wow. Have you seen a spike in these cases this year, in 2020? In abuse, like uh, in In like DCPP or like other, well, I'll say I I don't work with the foster kids anymore. What I, I, but what I have seen an increase in is because kids are, are at home now without a guardian or a parent there because they're working 
and yeah. because they have to work and they work outside of the home because many of the, my clients, they're in low income situations. And so they're getting into riskier situations. They're more vulnerable and they're more at risk. And so I, I, I like anecdotally, I can say like, that's what's going on. Some of them are getting in trouble. Um, and some of them are getting into situations that are not healthy at all for them. It seems like it's increased because there's also more tension at home. And uh, if there was, so a lot of the clients I work with are, are a lot of them are reunifying with a parent they haven't been with in a long time. Wow. Um, and so the, it's a very difficult situation to, I mean, that just reunifying with a parent. Um, and so if you're in the house all the time and you're not going to school, you're not going to work because of the pandemic or and you're forced to be inside with that person, I think it can create a lot of mental health issues, a lot of. So that brings me to my next question. Do you think it's because a lot of because of lockdown and what's been happening with COVID, these children are not having a real outlet to take things out on or to, I guess, to just just blow off some steam and. I guess they're behaving, some kids are just behaving in a different type of way this year because well, they're not right. Well, they're not being supervised at all. Okay. So where they were being supervised by teachers or, right. you know, and then parents, you know, were at home when um, they weren't at school. So I think lack of supervision. I mean, what happens to teenagers when they have no supervision, right? Um, <laughs> it's, I know what I did. <laughs> That's why we're giggling, everyone. Uh, <laughs> we won't go there. No, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you you, you know get what? to hit. Yeah, we we become pretty pretty you know decent people. Like yes, yes, uh, I agree. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, if you have to stay inside of your house all the time, you're not. I feel like you're not. You're so. You maybe you're socializing on the phone, but you're not hanging out with your your classmates, your whoever. You're not in touch with teachers or counselors at school that might, you know, if you do have a, a good school system where there's caring counselors who might be able to step in or notice when something's going on, right? Um, I've, I've read and heard things where teachers are just like super concerned, like, oh, my student hasn't been in class for like three weeks. And like, what can they do about it? It's very different now. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about the 500, we've been talking about unification with parents and stuff. I want to ask you your thoughts about the 500 and plus kids who um, were not reunited with their parents. Um, have you, I don't really, I know some parts of it, but what do you think happened there? Well, a lot of the parents were deported. Um, right. I know that's a big part. Um, and uh, the, I, I'm not intimately familiar with all the litigation and everything going on, but th there was definitely like a lack. <laughs> the, the administration just wanted to do something to, that was cruel to prove a point, to try to like prevent people from seeking safety in the United States. And um, it had no plan in place whatsoever. And so whatever happened, happened. They didn't keep data on anyone necessarily. It took them forever to like collect information they're actually it was families nonprofits attorneys like that are not working for the government who who got a lot of the information together to try to connect parents to their children um 
and there's just a lot it was basically like it was like a cruel choice and a neglectful attitude towards the court when the court was trying to figure out how to like bring together the parents and their um children um it was just that was just so sad i mean those kids are considered to be foster care force foster kids too they didn't have parents for a limited for that period of time not limited for that period of time um Kimberly, if someone wanted to get involved and let's say volunteer, I mean, I know we can't be out in public too much, but maybe even online and stuff. Do you have any um, any ideas or any places where people can get involved to volunteer and do this type of work? That you do, uh, yeah, there's like, well, I'm in New Jersey, so are you right now? I don't, but I'm sure not everyone's like right no. listening who's in New Jersey. But um, I work for a national nonprofit too. Um, and we, well, if you're an attorney, you could always take on one of these cases, right? With the mentorship of KIND, where I work, we mentor attorneys who are not immigration attorneys to do this work. Um, but there's also a lot of different opportunities to be involved. For example, we have some mentoring programs um, with youth. And so there's, you, you don't have to have any like legal skills at all. Um, it helps if you speak, Spanish is the primary language of the, youth that we represent, um, but some speak English, some speak other language, languages. Um, and in the arena of immigration, um, there's, it's always great to connect with like any small grassroots organization, wherever you live and help support them in whatever way they think you might um, be able to help them best. So, I mean, they're all, I mean, there's, there's organiz uh, community organizations everywhere. So I think that's probably like, that's another just, yeah. What law school did you go to in Seton Hall? I went to Seton Hall, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, Seton Hall Law School in New Jersey. Yep, I remember that. Um, Kimberly, it was great having you on. You gave so much, so much valuable information and, and um, awareness to what is happening with um, immigrant children who are in foster care and also who um, have committed small crimes depending on um, how uh, how much, how much of an impact the crimes that some of these kids have done, even when they're kids, they're, you know, not really thinking straight or what have you. So you brought so much awareness to that and deportation. And I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Trish. I really appreciate you having me here. Um, <laughs> it's well, been wonderful. If you need to get in touch with um, Kimberly, you can always contact me and I can always relate the message to her. Um, but she's doing great work and we need more lawyers like her um, in this world, um, especially in the United States. So anyway, everyone have a great day. Bye, Kimberly. Thank you. Have a, have a good rest of your day, wherever you are. <laughs>